Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the team at Project Health Monitoring. PHM provides digital solution for industry, sport and education, allowing you to focus on well-being, performance and academic engagement in real time. But more on that a little later in the episode. And welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back for another week. I started the Lifeline Crisis Support Training last night to become a volunteer. And I was telling my husband this morning, no matter what age you are, no matter what life experience or education you have, It still blows my mind that we can get so nervous about something. I'm so used to sitting in a room and working with clients, building rapport and longer-term relationships that the idea of having only one conversation at one point in time makes me a little nervous. Then I remind myself that it is healthy as an adult to challenge ourselves in this way. We don't grow by staying where it's comfortable. So I invite you on this journey with me. What is one thing that you have always wanted to do that you either haven't gotten around to or you've been a little nervous about so it keeps moving down the priority list? This week, I want you to grab it by the horns and go for it. Life is too short not to. Let me know in the Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, what is your one thing? I'm super excited to hear what you decide. On that note, let me introduce you to an absolute rockstar human. This guy is one of my all-time favorites. He is knowledgeable, understanding, empathic, supportive, and so practical. He works with us in our national wellbeing and performance company, Tri Altitude Performance. And we are so lucky to have him on our team because you wait till you hear what else he does. Andrew Hall is an advanced sports dietitian, motivated by improving nutrition, health, and performance of others. Andrew has worked with a range of individuals from recreational all the way to elite athletes. He has a Bachelor of Exercise Science, a Bachelor of Health Science with Honours, and a Master's in Dietetic Studies. He has a wealth of experience having worked with some of the best sporting teams in this country. He currently works with the Queensland Institute of Sport, Brisbane Broncos, Brisbane Bullets, and he's also worked with a number of other teams such as the Brisbane Lions, the Bandits, the Gold Coast Suns, Cricket Australia, Cycling Australia, just to name a few. It is such a privilege to have him here talking about mood and nutrition. We talk about the latest research and the evidence that sits behind nutrition. He talks about some great hacks and tips that you can use on a daily basis. And in the last half of the podcast, we dive deep into the foods that can have the biggest impact on our mood. You will hear him break this down to really specific examples so that you can walk straight into the supermarket today and take action. I have so much respect for Hawley. We've worked together for about a year and I admire not only his knowledge and skills, but I love the way he breaks information down into bite 
bite-sized digestible pieces, excuse the pun. I never walk away from a conversation feeling overwhelmed or confused. I only ever feel inspired, wishing I could spend more time with him. And I'm even more excited to be able to let you know that he has a small number of private spots still available in his calendar. This is something that never happens, so I will give you all those details at the end of the pod. Let me introduce you to the legend himself, Andrew Hall. Welcome, Hawley, to Challenges That Change Us. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. I love to start every interview with asking what animal best describes you and what is it about that animal? It just gives us a bit of a sense about who you are and, you know, the kind of characteristics that people see in you and the things that you see in yourself. It's a tough question. I would say potentially like a wedgetail eagle, a bit random, I know, but I think the main thing that I think of there is that they sort of do a lot of observation before they strike. They're not super vocal, quite lanky birds. So I, th- I feel like those characteristics uh, sum me up a little bit. Um, yeah. They definitely do. <laughs> you know what? All of those, that's exactly what I would say. You're very considered in your approach. You definitely observe before you act. You know, you get all the information and then you make decisions off that and tall and lanky. <laughs> <laughs> And Holly, tell us a little bit about you. Like, where did you grow up and how did you get into dietetics in the first place? Yeah, so I grew up in Hobart, Tasmania, and I got into dietetics through my own, I guess, uh, attempts at sports. So I grew up in a basketball family. Both my parents played. Um, my dad was a coach, so I was around basketball stadiums and, and people playing basketball a lot. And I obviously enjoyed playing it myself and, and tried my best to take that as far as I could managed to represent the state at nationals three times in under 18s and under 20. So that was that was a lot of good fun. But I think where I got to now is probably trying to figure out what I could control as an athlete. So there's only so much you, you get given from genetically. And you can see that the, I guess my genetic makeup maybe is not the same as those in the NBA. So I was like, well, what can I do <laughs> to control the controllables? And, and that's where my interest in exercise science and more so sports nutrition came about because I wanted to try and better myself. And then I just found it fascinating. Like all the stuff we know about stuff that no, like we can't see just fascinated me. So learning finally felt like interesting to me compared to some of the other stuff that was happening or at school. And I'm so excited to get into some of that today because nutrition really interests me. And I think There's so much information out there in the world now on the web. It's really hard. I I can only speak for myself, but it's really hard to know what actually is backed by evidence, what are myths and facts in the industry, how is the research changing, what do we know now, you know, how it impacts our mood, how it impacts our performance. So I've been looking forward to this episode for months. (laughs) And tell us, so when you finished uni, because now you're working, like you're working with the Broncos, the Bullets, Queensland Institute of Sport, like how did that kind of track to get into professional sport? So I moved to Brisbane to do my master's in dietetics, which is a year and a half. And when I was up here, I just sort of sent an email to every sports dietitian around Brisbane asking to volunteer and get exposure to, to what that looked like, boots on the ground. So way back in 2012, I was scribing as one of the sports dietitian with the Broncos then was, was doing some skin folds. And I went and did some assisting with some fluid balance. And then that, I guess, volunteering episode, the, the person was, I guess, impressed. And I ended up working with that, with that person for nine and a half years, straight out of finishing my, my master's degree. So I think doing 
uh, in between my undergrad and, and my master's, I did a year of honours re- research where I looked at what was in cyclists' drink bottles and if we could, by adding pro- a little bit of protein to that, would that help their recovery later in the day when they had two sessions in, in the same day? But yeah, I just had exposure, I guess, through exercise science and, and, and a bit of research and had to learn how to be a, a private practice dietitian, had a passion around basketball, obviously, and then the Brisbane Bullets were entering the league, I think, in 2016-17. And as soon as I heard that they were coming back, I pretty much tried to harass them or anyone I knew who knew knew them just to try and get my foot in the door. Um, it was kind of nothing really happened in the first year, but I just built on doing not much up until uh, I think of six seasons with them now. So, yeah, I, I guess the underlying theme is persistence. I was just thinking that what a story for just chipping away at it and putting yourself in the position where you can be seen, where you can learn, where you're around people that are in industry. We had Dave Ballard on, I think it was in episode four, and he said the same thing, like he got in and started working and just volunteering or being able to be around the people that, you know, he wanted to work with. And I think we forget that. It's very easy to forget that where everyone starts. Yeah, I, I've got to remind myself how lucky I am sometimes too. Like when you're in a in a situation for too long, you you know I'm very conscious of being complacent, so trying to get better all the time. I think it's quite easy to do. So got to keep self checking. If someone had said to you as a 16 year old that you'd be working with the Brisbane Bullets, would you have believed it? No, probably not. Like I do want to go back to some of my year 11 and 12 teachers and be like. I got to where I wanted to because yes. my, my marks weren't great. You know, like I tried hard, but my marks weren't great in some of those subjects, like economics and maths and things like that. I it wasn't wasn't my jam, but yeah, no, it's yeah, it's good. And we have brought you on today to talk specifically around nutrition and all. Like I would love to talk all things nutrition, but let's have a bit of a chat around some of I guess the evidence or research or what's coming out in the industry around how nutrition can impact people's moods. Yeah, so I think more and more research is being done about understanding the gut microbiome, which essentially refers to all the microbes in a digestive tract. And there are lots of lots of good ones and they're really important for lots of processes in the body. But we're knowing more and more with, I guess, advances in medical technology, more and more studies being done. They're really highlighting that our organs have communication channels all around the body and in particular um, our digestive tract and I guess our mind so that the gut brain axis and the messages go both ways so I think you know there are some sayings that suggest that we've kind of known about this for a while you know I've got a good or bad gut feeling about this you know butterflies in the stomach it's a feeling but we're referring to to our gut during some of those fairly known sayings but now and now we know that the nerve connection and the, the, the messaging that occurs throughout the body is um, vast. And when you say microbes, what do you mean by that? Well, I guess like there are like bacteria. So when you may hear of probiotics, they are certain bacteria, but there are lots of different species. And the more diverse the species in, in the gut, it's said to be probably a better situation for for gut health. And this is something that I hear a lot just even talking to my friends. I was talking to someone yesterday about this and they said they um, caught something out of the water tank that has affected their gut bacteria. And, 
you hear people say that they need to improve their gut bacteria, but there's not necessarily the steps on how to do that or what's recommended to go and do just as an everyday person. Yeah, I think there are lots of things that can influence someone's gut microbiome from birth. So the way that they were born, whether it was a normal birth or a cesarean, that can influence their gut microbiome. In what way? Uh, The natural flora that they pick up along the way through the channel, the birth channel, I guess. And that doesn't happen when they're extracted from surgery, which, you know, there are lots of reasons. You know, I'm not saying it's good or bad. And an adult doesn't have that choice about how they were born. So you don't want to Mm. dwell on it. But just to sort of set the scene is that we're covered in all of these microbes all the time. And there's thousands of them in our digestive tract and millions and millions of them come out every time we go to the bathroom. So getting back to your question, how do we influence it? The things that promote a more diverse range of micro microbes or positive or beneficial microbes is just getting a wider variety of foods and more importantly, fibers. So high fiber foods, whole grains, legumes, fruit and vegetables. If you can eat more of those and eat a greater variety of those, that's probably one of the best things that you can do because the, the gut microbes, they ferment. So the fibers that we eat, we can't digest and they stay in the tube and then they travel all the way down into the large intestine and that's where those bacteria live and then they ferment off the fiber there. So that's what they eat. And then that can create some other beneficial uh, compounds like butyrate, which helps protect the internal lining of the um, the digestive tract. And that's where that you might hear about systemic inflammation and that sort of thing as well. So other things you can do to promote good gut health would be to, to try and limit the amount of um, alcohol medications like anti-inflammatories and things like that aren't great for them obviously everyone's got different situations so uh, i don't want people to just to hear this and say i can't take anything obviously be guided by your doctor um, there's no judgment it's just that these are what the science says so be conscious of it and then like antibiotics you would have probably heard that you know when people have strong antibiotics that can really upset their stomach and that changes the environment in there for a little while as well so that can take a little bit of time to to rebuild and the last one would probably be just avoiding ultra processed foods such as deep fried mars bars coca-cola soft drink just things where the nutrients have been pulverized out of them i guess like yeah ice cream is one of them so again not saying don't ever have these foods it's just being conscious that most of the time you want to be eating the foods that are helping your gut colorful foods, high fiber foods, drinking water as your your main source of fluid, but then understanding that it's okay to have some of those foods some of the time, but just keep it in, I guess, a good range. And is there a way to test to kind of get a baseline so that you can kind of know where you're starting from now? It's a very good question. There'd be a few companies out there that would like me to say yes, but mm-hmm. listening to experts who live 24-7 in this space, I don't think we have... Nailed it yet. The, yeah. So there are people out there who are getting samples and it's giving them some indication and maybe there is some specific species that are shown in more likely to be in um, certain health outcomes and that might show up. And every time someone does send a sample, they're adding to the database. So it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But I don't think the science is at the point where it's worth the $300, $400 to, to give a sample. I don't think it can be used to really benefit above and beyond the suggestions that we've already spoken about on how to, to help a gut. 
So, Holly, when I'm listening to you talk, I guess from a selfish perspective, I'm thinking, oh, God, maybe I should be doing a bit more in this space. And if I can't kind of go out and get a baseline, how am I going to know if it's something I should be putting a lot of time and energy into? Like if my gut right now is kind of doing, it's working really hard over time trying to just get into a healthy place because I'm below the baseline, how will I know that? Or how will someone listening know that? I guess if you're not feeling the energy, consistency throughout a day or in general if if you're feeling fatigued if mood is maybe not where it, where it used to be and you can't think of any other reasons why i mean mood's very complex i'm not going to oversimplify and say if you eat broccoli your mood's going to improve it's not that simple but i think one of the the places i start with people is it's like a 30 day 30 food challenge so in a week if you were to write down every time you ate a different type of plant food how many do you get in a typical week? And if it's five or seven, you try and shift shift the needle a little bit towards 30. And the reason that is, is because each individual plant food that we eat has its own set of nutrients and its own range of different fibers within it. So for example, pineapple, black beans, quinoa, bananas, sweet potato with the skin on, like these things. So there's four or five. And then every time you know, if you, if you sprinkle flax seeds on your cereal, there's another one. So just trying to get the variety and, and the amount of different plant foods increasing. And that's a really good place to start along with water, getting enough sleep. Um, that's, that's probably a fairly simple place to start there. Yeah. And, I, and for a lot of people, even saying 30 will feel like a lot. You know, for some people, they have a very standard go-to, you know, I have carrot, broccoli and potato and maybe one other veggie most nights of the week and the nights I'm not eating those, I'm not eating any veggies or salads. So, you know, I guess it's important to have a conversation as well around what if someone hears that right now and they think 30 feels like it's too far away from them? I think rather than feeling overwhelmed maybe just go I wonder how many I actually am eating because you might be surprised how quickly they add up there are some mm. mueslis that will have you know on the front of it it'll say nine different plant foods so if you throw that in your bowl and you put some soy milk you've got nine straight from the get-go and then you have brown rice with some corn and thinly diced red capsicum with some chicken for lunch like you've got three or four on top of that so it does actually add up quickly so it's good just to see okay where am i at and then you know where to push it and then maybe just the next week you're like okay, i'm gonna just try one or two i'm gonna try and get two more this week and build from there mm. and that's something that i love to encourage all of our clients here at the gym to do it's like you know when you look at your meal if you're having tacos for example for dinner is there another veggie or another salad you can add into that you know you've already got your set menu but can you just add one or two in that you haven't thought of maybe it's pineapple if you haven't had pineapple or maybe it's capsicum if you haven't had capsicum so sometimes just looking at what you've already got and then just shifting that bar just a tad it can make a huge difference and it adds up over time like you said yeah, absolutely. And I've heard you talk previously, Holly, about the SMILES study mm -hmm. and depression. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so this is based out of, I believe, La Trobe University in Australia. And it started off with that we're going to look at how nutrition can influence healthy brain aging and, and trying to influence Alzheimer's and things like that. And it ended up being a study that looked at a group of people who were experiencing depression. So I can't remember the exact scale that they used, but their questionnaire indicated that they were 
depressed. So they split those people into two groups. One group was provided a weekly catch up and the nutrition for six weeks, I think. And the other group was also provided a weekly catch up because we know that social interaction is really important for our, for our mental health. And at the end of the study, they found that the group that had the, the food provided, which was Mediterranean approach inspired, 30% of those individuals did not meet the criteria for depression anymore. Whereas the other group, it was 6% had gone into remission. That's really interesting, Holly, when you say that, because I, I find often nutrition is, even though it's tangible and we see the meals we eat, often feels like it's behind closed doors or it feels like it's like almost an intangible thing. It's like people almost just eat without really even thinking about what they're eating or the value they're getting out of each meal or how that's going to benefit their soul and their physical health and their performance and their mood. Yeah, I think one way to potentially check in on this that I use is you might go away on a holiday and this is before COVID, you know, you might travel internationally. (laughs) Way back when. (laughs) Yeah, you get to, I guess, experience the local cuisine and that might be pizza and pasta and you're in a hotel room and there isn't a kitchen so you're eating out all the time. And after a few days, like maybe three or four days, you're starting to feel a bit yuck and you might think, I just want to get back home and eat my food. And I think that that small example indicates that the way that we eat can make, like it influences how how we feel. So Mm. it's just that's more of a like a consistency in a day-to-day thing when we're back in our in our real world and our real life. And Holly, do you have some I mean you work in this every day. Are there some hacks or some tips for for anyone that's listening that's like, okay, well, I've just listened to this and all right, I'm gonna try and make some change tomorrow. And often I see people trying to change everything all at once. Like if people are like, okay, I want to, I'm really inspired and I want to start to focus a little bit more on my nutrition, like what are some of the steps, some of the things that you would say start here or do this? Just pick, yeah, as you say, one thing at a time. So if at the moment you're just having a large caramel cappuccino for breakfast, then maybe you have, you know, a third of a cup of um, a high fiber muesli with half a cup of probiotic yogurt. And that's just like a better way to start the day or your lunch meal rather than purchasing it. Maybe you either have some tin tuna and you include some brown rice or quinoa. It's from the microwave. So you don't even have to like stare at, um, stand at the stovetop, but just a really quick way in a bag salad. So I guess just maybe you start by picking one meal and trying to figure out how can I make this higher fiber How can I have more color in this meal? And when you said then about brekkie, some of the common questions I get is why does brekkie make a difference? I know so many people that skip breakfast and that was the first thing that you mentioned then. What is it about breakfast? Why is that an important meal and why would we spend our time making sure that it's a really healthy one to start our day? I guess when you live in the space, you understand that eating is an opportunity to nourish the body and if you're not having breakfast, there's, you're not getting fiber. You're not getting, you know, vitamin A, vitamin C, et cetera, et cetera. So first of all, that would be a reason. For sure, people can get by without breakfast. And, and there are some schools of thought that, you know, intermittent fasting can be beneficial. And there's not really strong evidence to say that skipping breakfast is super bad as long as the overall calories across the day are matched from a 
a, a weight management perspective if, if we talk about that for a moment. However, in my experience, when we can get some consistency with eating, so three meals, two snacks a day, roughly three to four hours separated, if someone's able to, to do that and they're eating slow-release energy, so higher-fiber carbohydrates, their energy throughout the day is more stable. If they go long periods without eating and they get to the point of feeling ravenous, then when they're making a decision about what to eat, they want something really quickly, their brain is seeking energy, so getting something that's high sugar is going to get that energy quicker, so we're more likely to, to sort of quote-unquote crave those sorts of foods. So I just think that starting the day with high fiber and high protein is a really good way to set yourself up if you can. And when I speak about this, I understand that there might be people being like, I work as a shift work. I'm, I'm in a hospital. I have gloves on. I can't just, I'm in a crane. Like I can't just do these things. So obviously everyone's in a different situation and that's where getting individual advice is most important. But for most of us, yeah, trying to start the day that way, I think is, is a good idea. And when you say high fiber and high protein, what are some examples of that? So bread that when you pick up, it's heavy. So if, like the, you can see lots of seeds in it. So wholemeal, multigrain, those sorts of things. Cereals, generally speaking, that have four to four and a half stars on them. And, you know, the health star ratings, not without some criticism, but in generally, if you're looking in the cereal aisle, comparing them, the more stars, the more fiber it's going to have. So wheat bix or natural muesli, just plain rolled oats. So you can rolled oats, put some chia or flax seeds in it, sultanas in there, or some frozen blueberries. Those are the things that are going to be adding the fiber, the roughage. And when you say chia and flax seeds, you know, I think for someone that uses that, they're like, yep, great, I'll add it. But for someone that has never opened a packet of that before it feels a little daunting and a little overwhelming so um are you able to just tell us how you would actually do that for breakfast is it just taking a teaspoon and like putting it over the wheat bix or what would you do with that yeah i mean i find just plain oats by themselves pretty boring to be honest personally so i try and create some texture yeah so chia seeds you can it would be one to two teaspoons just sprinkle it over and, and stir it through flax seeds or linseeds it's the same same thing i've got I've got two names for some reason in Australia. One to two teaspoons there. And then if it's blueberries, you could have a whole punnet if you, if you wanted to or a whole cup. Like blueberries are low calorie but high nutrient food. And I think that sometimes with when we when we started this podcast, we were saying there's so much information out there, it's hard to know. Like listening to your talk, it's like, oh, I've just got to put blueberries on my porridge. That's really simple. But once we're not hearing you talk, you hear all of this white noise in the background, you know, don't eat carbs after six. You know, these are the best foods to have. These are unhealthy foods or these are, you know, like there's so much noise, right? How do we filter through that noise? Where do we go? How do we kind of work out what's best for us? Yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge that we're like so many people just live on the threshold like they feel like they're just trying to to get by we're very busy so we're creatures of habit we tend to to walk the same path each day and it's very hard to interject that and to try and create time to go and buy that ingredient or to even stop and think about that sort of thing when sometimes we just want to numb out or we're just we don't have time to think about it so i, I want to acknowledge it it's very easy to say you know these are the things to change but change is quite hard I think having someone on your team and having 
someone to, to work with and coach and be accountable to and and say, okay, this person has given me this information, not general public. Mm. Like I, I did seven and a half years of uni and four of those were in exercise science and I still pay people to tell me what to do exercise-wise because I just outsource that because I don't want to think about it and I need someone to be accountable to. So I think that you know, if that's a goal for you and, and you're serious about it, it, it might be worth reaching, well, it probably is worth reaching out to a, an accredited practicing dietitian. Yeah. And there's a few things you said just then. One is the knowledge, right? Like we could spend hours researching to find one answer, whereas you can probably just pull it out from experience or if you don't, you know the right person to ask to find out the answer for that. So there's that knowledge component. There's that accountability component, you know, like checking in with someone regularly and being held accountable for the actions that we're doing or the habits we're creating or having a cheerleader on our side when we're trying so hard to make changes that, like you said, are not easy. If they were easy, everyone would do it. You know, if this was easy, what we're talking about, everyone would eat nutritiously all the time. Some of these small things are really hard. But then there's also having the step through process, you know, do this first. Like that's the thing that I've loved when I've been working with you or other dietitians. It's like here's the priority. Like what are you wanting to achieve? What have we got to consider here? And then let's just do this first because this is going to move the dial the most for you. Yeah, so when I, when I work with someone, I generally will go through what their world looks like, you know, what takes up their time, what are their challenges, what do they like to eat, what don't they like to eat. And then I'll sort of go through a normal day, figure out where the gaps are, say, here are the things I've identified. Let's try and figure out if any of these are practical to change right now, because it's unlikely that all of them are going to be possible. So let's figure out which one, as you say, let's start moving the needle. Which one are we going to, or which two things are we going to start with? Are we going to only drink alcohol on Friday and Saturday night, and we're going to limit it to two. And are we going to take an afternoon snack that we eat at our desk before we turn the car on and drive home? Because we know that that's going to reduce the um, mindful, mindless um, snacking in the afternoon between when we get home and, and dinner, just for, for example. This is a shout out to all athletes, coaches, managers, and mentors who may be listening. We all know I'm a big advocate for improving your mental health, but how can you know when to act? PHM, otherwise known as Project Health Monitoring, provides a versatile, safe and secure digital platform that allows students a means to communicate current and emerging issues in real time. The platform provides educators with data to take targeted and timely action so that their students feel known, valued and cared for. PHM takes away the days of second guessing. With children increasingly connected via technology, the PHM approach allows students to initiate a conversation without having to raise their hands. Students need to feel connected and empowered by being directly engaged socially and emotionally. For a free project health check on your school, please click in the link provided in our show notes. This will enhance your students' well-being, performance, and their academic outcomes. Now, back to the show. And I was thinking... A lot of our listeners come on this podcast because it's challenges that change us. And so we're often talking about adversity and how we overcome it. And as we've discussed previously, nutrition is one of the ways that can have a huge impact on how we walk in the world, our resilience, how we face adversity, how we perform on an everyday basis, but particularly as we mentioned around mood. So if we were going to think about some of the steps or some of the actual foods that can make a difference to mood, 
what would be your suggestion, like five or 10 things that we could consider? Yeah, so I guess if we're being a little bit more prescriptive around actions that people can take, a good way mm-hmm. to start would be to try and aim for at least sort of five serves of vegetables a day. As you said, like five serves of and trying to get variety in there. Yeah, start with five. Once you've got that locked away, then maybe start to work on the diversity. And frozen veg is fine. No problems there. Because there's been some discussion in industry around whether frozen veg are as good as fresh. So you're happy as long as we're getting aiming for the five serves. Absolutely. Yep. So just to be clear, what to serve? Half a cup of cooked veg or a, a cup of salad. Mm-hmm. And out of curiosity, I know you work in high performance, so you might see this a lot more regularly than I do, but I could probably only name five people in my world that get five veg in every single day, seven days a week, 30 days a month. Is it something that you see commonly? Uh, If everyone was doing it, I'd be out of a job. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Just checking that we're not a little bit different down here. (laughs) No, no. You know, everyone you see see is a human being and at threshold most of the time. So, I think 7% of the Australian population meet the, the five and two consistently. Oh, yeah. great. So, that that is why we're all working so hard because there's such a huge cohort of us that aren't doing it. Whew, I feel a little yep. bit better. Does everyone else? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, what else is there? So, that's the first one. Yeah, it'd be aimed for two serves of fruit as well. So, um, as I mentioned before, berries are high in antioxidants, all the different colours you can get uh, with different f- fruits as well. The reason it's two is because they have more calories in them than, than most veggies. So you can't just eat them, as you can't drown yourself in them. And as in general, you just want to keep an eye on it. Just, yeah. And with the fruit, my daughter said this to me yesterday afternoon. I was like, go grab a piece of fruit. She's like, mum, I'm only allowed two pieces of fruit. It's got too much sugar in it. I was like, Okay, let's just have a conversation around that for a moment. Like, do you want to comment on that? In that instance, I would say go and get another piece of fruit. Yes, but in the in when people are hearing this all the time, like don't eat fruit, it's too high in sugar. What would you say to someone, an everyday person that's coming in that's trying to hit the just to be the healthiest version they can be, not an elite athlete, you know, just just everyone, like mums and dads, people at uni, just trying to get through and eat really healthily. Yeah, honestly, like I think the the strain on the health system from nutrition is not because people are eating too much fruit let me put it that way i think you mm-hmm. know particularly young kids active people people that are on their feet all day like they, their body they need energy so what better way mm-hmm. to to get some energy in the form of carbohydrates and also the other you know the fiber and the vitamins and minerals that come with that i just make that point just so people are aware because if you're sitting down to a watermelon and a pineapple and three mangoes every day, there is a reasonable amount of energy coming there. So it's more just making people aware that there's energy in it and it's not just a a free-for-all. But for most people, it's very hard to overdo. Yeah, and often what I see is people try and cut down their fruit thinking it's got sugar, but yet they'll have the chocolate bar after lunch. And it's like let's let's have a look at at least fruits giving us like it's filling our body up with all the awesome stuff that we need to be fabulous. Absolutely. And I, yeah, and that's where that individual approach and individual advice is, is really important. The third one would be just switching to whole grains. So if you use bread as an example, rather than just that white bread, you, you switch to something that's got more seeds in it, more, more whole grains because there's more nutrients in that. That might be going from jasmine rice, trying brown rice or wild rice or black rice or quinoa wholemeal couscous etc so just choosing options that are higher in fiber and if you were to swap that out because a lot of a lot of people 
eat white rice all the time, if they were to swap out two meals a week for brown rice or quinoa, would that make a difference? Yeah, everything does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So don't so do the small stuff. Like just because you you can't do it every single time, still have a go when you can. Correct. Yes. I mean, it's just like training. Like two sessions on the track isn't going to win you a gold medal, but if you know every session that you do adds up, it's everything we do is just a series of of small actions. Yeah. And just coming in before we move on from this one around the grains, rye bread, sourdough, you know, there's a lot of conversations around that. What's your opinion in this space? My favorite bread, and I don't get paid to say this, is the Bergen soy and linseed bread because mm. to me it's got the highest fiber that's actually enjoyable to eat. I've tried, you know, sometimes when you buy from a supermarket and you buy online and they make a substitution and some of the breads that have come out, I'm like, I do not enjoy this at all. So it's okay to not enjoy all of those breads, but that particular one I do. So for most of the time, that one, if you're eating in and around training exercise, I would recommend a sourdough bread, like a white sourdough, simply because it doesn't have that fiber. And I know we get, we get going a bit off track here, but it does have a slower, slightly slower release of energy. So if you really can't handle the seeds in the bread, try and go for a genuine sourdough because it has a slower release of energy just by the way that it, it's been made. And when you say genuine, can you just explain what you mean by that? Mostly from a bakery rather than, you know, I think sometimes the, these brands are a little bit tricky by they say sourdough, but it, it, it's probably not made in a traditional sourdough sense. Okay. Yeah. And the fourth? That would be just making water your drink of choice. I think, yeah, just somehow... We're the only animals that have overcomplicated this. Like you watch any other animal in the animal kingdom, they they drink water and they eat food in nature from around them. So most of the time, if we can just get water, and we're very very lucky in Australia that pretty much any tap you go to is going to be safe, unless it says tank water in use, and then maybe don't. But our workplaces, our schools, our homes, we're really lucky that we can just get that free of charge, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. The fifth thing you could do is focus on healthy fats. So. That's going to be things that are in line with that Mediterranean approach to eating, which we spoke about earlier with the SMILES trial. So that's trying to use extra virgin olive oil, use avocado instead of butters, and then eating oily fish, so salmon or mackerel, two or three times a week, and also nuts and seeds. They're really healthy fats as well. So if we're getting, you know, dietary fats are really important to us and, and we do need them. So if we can choose those healthier options most of the time, that's a really good thing to do for our gut as well. And is there a difference between smoked salmon, salmon steaks and tin salmon when we talk about having salmon for nutritional purposes? That's a really good question. I think closest to nature is always best. So, you know, the salmon fillets. The other two are going to have more sodium in them because they're preserved. So that's probably the only thing I'd be conscious of. So if there are sort of people out there where there's hypertension that runs or, or high blood pressure that runs in, in the family or, you know, their blood pressure's up there a little bit, that would be something to consider because the amount of salt or sodium in those foods can influence blood pressure. For a healthy population, if you're trying to get more fish in and you prefer smoked salmon, then you're better off having smoked salmon than no fish at all. Absolutely. And probably, yeah, better than having bacon as well. Yeah. Oh, my Sunday morning breakfasts are going to change. <laughs> and what about nuts with nuts? Because you hear a lot about nuts, but I also hear don't have too many. Mm -hmm. So the recommendation, which was another one of these um, 10, is enjoy a serve of nuts each day, and that's 30 grams. Mm -hmm. What does that translate to? 
a small handful. However, <laughs> handfuls can be, you know, there can be a big difference between what someone picks up with a handful. So just be conscious, conscious of that. I would use the, like the third, the measuring cup, if you don't have kitchen scales, like the, the third cup would probably be getting you around 30 grams. Other things we can do is include, you know, foods that have probiotics in them. So that's if you're getting a yogurt and, and you can find one that you like with probiotics added to them, that can be a good thing as well. How do you know? I'm just going to stop you there because you hear a lot about have yogurt with probiotics. I have a little app on my phone. What do you suggest to people if they are like, yes, I know I need to now go get yogurt with probiotics, but how do I know? So the, the recommendation is just to, so I guess, check the label, have a look, and it should state the name of the probiotic strain and then also potentially the quantity of those strains in there. So what are we looking for? That's a great question. I haven't been able to figure out a way to memorize the um, all the different strains. So, I mean, I know lactobacillus is one of the good ones. There are probably dietitians who work in this space more than I do who would be able to... We're changing our dietitians, yeah. Holly. Sorry, we're going to get a different guy. No, but so if we're going in, are there certain brands of yogurt that you know that have like a pretty good? Yeah, I think so like Jauna, Siggy's, and then you had some Greek, like Greek yogurts that will say probiotic on there basically. So if they're going to the effort of putting them in there, they want the, the buyer to, to know. And there can be a lot of sugar in yogurt as well. That's one of the things you want to check Correct. on the label, isn't it? Try and decrease the amount of sugar, increase the amount of probiotics. Correct, yeah. And, you know, when I work with people a lot of the time, they're trying to get a sort of a higher protein. If it's their protein source for their breakfast, that can be a really valuable thing as well, which is a bit off topic, but while we're on yogurts. All helpful though, all helpful. It's these little things that add up over time. Okay, the other thing you can do is try and use herbs and spices. So fresh fresh is best, but if it's dried herbs, again, these have their own aromatics compounds that have been used for centuries. And these are another way to, if you're eating healthy foods, you can have more flavor by adding these herbs and spices, but the herbs and spices themselves are also beneficial as well. So fresh or dried, it doesn't matter, but using more of those, use them liberally, it can be a good thing. Well, it is a great thing. Mm, and they're so expensive. So another really good tip here is grow your own if you can because sometimes that's what pulls people up is the expense. Just having a little pot and putting it on the kitchen windowsill or popping it outside, even just start with growing one herb um, that you can just cut off and add into breakfast, lunch or dinner can make a big difference. Yep. And, I, I mean, like this morning I sprinkled some dry dill on top of my eggs as they were cooking, roasting um, pumpkin with rosemary, like makes it infinitely better in my opinion. So it's just things here and there that can you enjoy your food more. Like you're not going to be able to make long lasting change if it's an absolute torturous experience to eat veggies. So the, m the more you can do to enjoy them with a bit of extra, extra virgin olive oil and some herbs and spices, go for it. Yeah. The other thing, probably not a shock, is just cutting back on those treats, those ultra processed things like lollies and chocolate and deep fried foods and pastries and soft drink and alcohol, all of those sorts of things. Try and just be, be wary of how frequently you're having them and, and eat, have them in, in moderation as a treat, not as a, as a standard. And when we talk about processed food, can we just spend a moment talking about processed meat? Because you have given me some great tips and hacks when going to the supermarket on processed. You might not remember this. <laughs> but, you know, when you're looking at the deli and like the shape and the colour and stuff, can you just give us a few little tips around that? Yeah, the, the, deli, the deli meats are a tricky space. I think if you can use 
your food that you've cooked yourself. So buying chicken or, or, or having leftover steak and finally cutting it up and putting that in your sandwich the next day and using tin, tin tuna. These things are probably going to be better than the processed cured products like Belgium and Cabana and salami and pepperoni and things like this. I know they taste great um, and I'm not saying never have them, but generally speaking, trying to be conscious of the amount of processed deli meat you eat is, is a good thing from a health perspective. And I also, the thing that stuck out for me was a few years ago when they said, if it's cut perfectly, then it's probably more processed <laughs> often. Is that right? Yeah, like a, like a perfect circular shape, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're choosing ham and it's cut perfectly, you probably want to go for the one that's not cut yep. perfectly or also doesn't have a lot of white in it. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, when I'm working with, with athletes and, and they are having bacon one day, I'm not just, you know, have, have the shortcut stuff because there's less saturated fat in those. This is where uh, it was the um, another dietitian that I worked with said, you know, leftovers are fantastic because they're always, well, not always, often full of all the things we want to get. And that was mind-blowing for me. I'm like, all this time I thought leftovers was kind of the cheap way of having lunch, but it's actually one of the better because you've gone to the effort to cook this meal and it's probably got a whole handful of stuff that you want to have that you're just getting for lunch and then you go again the next night. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the number one lunch suggestion from when I work with people is have you've gone to the effort. If you can deliberately cook a little bit more of a night time so you've got enough leftovers, that's time efficiency 101. Yeah, I'm all for leftovers. Everyone probably knows this already, but I just remember it was like maybe five years ago, I was like, oh my God, this is life changing. <laughs> And so I think we're up to eight, aren't we, Holly? Because I think we said we're going to aim for 10. Yeah, I think maybe we've gotten to nine. What's one more you have up your sleeve? It'd be eating more legumes. So that's things like black beans, chickpeas, edamame, lentils, those sorts of foods. And when I do, you know, food frequency questionnaires with people, still lots of people don't like these foods. If you've been to Japanese restaurants, they'll, they'll have edamame at the table as an appetizer people are you know sometimes people that's that's their exposure to them if you get a takeaway burrito there might be black beans if you're cooking at home and you you've got five kids and and the budget adding a, a can of kidney beans or four bean mix to the the bolognese sauce can be a way to bulk it out and, and get a bunch more fiber as well can everyone please get my husband to listen to this because he always tells me my bolognese has too many veggies in it and especially the four bean mix because I'm like, great, I can get it all in now. And he's like, bolognese is meant to be made on meat, not veggies. And I'm like, it is made on meat. <laughs> but that's one of the go-tos where I like try and scramble in as much as I possibly can because it just seems to be so easy. It's still so flavoursome, but you can get so many good things and you can freeze it so you can have it all week or for the next month. Or give to someone when they're going through a time of adversity. You know, when we talk about challenges that change us, if someone's going through adversity, there's nothing better than giving them a wholesome meal that they can have. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a family classic. It's a really good place to start. You're very generous with some garlic and um, some Italian herbs. And that's a, an example of, you know, it's a really good way to get some some of these things that we've spoken about in there as well. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And just on the enemies, don't they have a lot of salt around them when you got yeah. like, I always get a bit nervous about ordering those out. I've never had them at home. Can you make them at home? You can buy them shelled or unshelled. Like in the fresh, fresh, I, we're in the country. so Sorry, it's frozen. Oh, I was like, I've never yeah. seen them. So you buy them in the frozen section. Yep. 
And then do you just put them in like in meals like spag bowl or curries or do you just eat them plain or? It could be a snack. I've got a an orange chicken stir fry recipe that has edamame and it really like just adds a, like a really nice color to it and texture as well. So you can also, Edgel also make snack packs with edamame. So it would be on my pay, pantry essential. So if I'm rushed, I haven't done everything and I'm trying to put a meal together, I might get, you know, steam fresh veg, a tin of tuna, and a tin of chickpeas or, or edamame and mix them together with the veggies and then either add like a chili sauce or a tomato relish and that might sound horrible to some people but that's my sort of go-to which is why. Go-to? Like my, I opened my Uber Eats app the other day and I've used it twice and that was in 2018 and not 2019 so um, <laughs> I'm a bit weird. That's also as a new dad. I'm like, mate, I thought you would have been introduced to that for sure if you hadn't been using it. It's funny. I was going to ask you what your go-to meal was. That was going to be one of my questions at the end of the podcast. Do you have another kind of a really simple, easy recipe that you love making that you just kind of find easy to do but kind of hits the mark? Yeah. I mean, when I'm time poor, that what I just spoke about, steam fresh veg, eggs on toast is like a real, like it's still, if you've got seeded bread and, and eggs like and, and some steam fresh veg, like it doesn't sound, you're not going to see that on a, on a restaurant menu, but it's better than getting anything on the way home in the car that comes through your window in a, a brown bag and a lot cheaper as well. And just to clarify, you're having the eggs on toast with veggies next to it. Mm, sometimes it's on the same plate. Sometimes it's separate. Uh, I was like, I don't know that I've ever said veggies for dinner with eggs. Like if I'm going to have eggs, yeah, scrambled eggs for dinner, it's like, like that, that is me done for the day. <laughs> I just was laughing picturing that. I was like... Yeah, for breakfast, absolutely. That's one of our tips here is, you know, add if you can get some veggies in before 9 a.m., you are so far in front of the yep. game. You know, baby spinach, stewed tomatoes. Mushrooms, sauerkraut. Some mushrooms, yep. yeah. 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 Talk to me about sauerkraut. That's something that seems to everyone always asks me about. I'm like, eh, it's not my area. <laughs> Talk to a dietitian. Fermented foods are good for gut health. But it's an acquired taste and they, they can be a cost. So starting with all of these other basics is much more of a priority. Drinking water, getting 30 different plant foods in a week, all of that's, I would prioritize that above trying to get uh, fermented foods on the plate. But once you've done all that consistently, feel free to add things like kimchi, sauerkraut into your meals. When you're in that 7%, that's what we're all aiming exactly. for. Exactly, yeah. The icing <laughs> on the cake. You're giving us so many ideas, Holly. Is there one more, one more go-to meal? Yeah. So when I'm, um, I guess, time poor or I feel like it's really easy, doesn't take any thought, it'd be salmon steak. So pan fry that on, on the oven top. And while that's happening, microwave brown rice and quinoa or just brown rice by itself. You can get both of those at the moment in most supermarkets. And then adding either broccolini or asparagus, either or or both. And you're, you're sort of hitting all the three parts. You've got the color, you've got the healthy fats, you've got the protein, and then you've got high fiber, slow release energy. So yeah, that's probably the easiest and really, really healthy option that I, I go for and, and would recommend to pretty much anyone. And my last question, Holly, I will, I could stay on here all day. My very last question to you other than who makes your belly laugh, which everyone will be waiting for, is there's a lot of people that are talking about meal replacement shakes and there's not a lot of information that's really clear cut on, on where we're at in the industry around those. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, it's a tricky one. Most of the time my approach when I'm, I'm trying to make change with someone is like, can you see yourself doing this in six months, in five years? And if the answer is no, 
then there's going to be an effect by, let's say we are doing meal replacement, but eventually you're going to, if you don't want to have that for the rest of your life, you're going to have to start eating meals. So you're just delaying the time it takes for you to try and build up the right nutrition systems to help support you for for the future. And we know that yo-yo dieting, when people, you know, start to diet, they often end up in a slightly heavier weight than when they started. So in very few cases would it be a, a go-to recommendation for me. Obviously, there's lots of marketing around protein and, you know, whey protein. When I speak to development athletes, I'm like, there's nothing special about it. It's the same protein you get in milk. There's nothing magical about it. It's just a convenient way to get in quickly. And in some circumstances, that might be okay to make a smoothie, etc. But there's, you know, it's not magical. The meal replacement shakes. Look, it's it's just a one. It's just going to be a one-on-one. There might be some people where it's appropriate. You know, a sixty-year-old female who's struggling on the back of their body, completely changing, and they're trying to navigate that space. And it's a, it's a way for them to get through a day of work and to help them, I guess. So. Yeah, look, it's not a clear-cut answer, but for most people, I'd try and say stay away from it unless you want to be doing it for the rest of your life. And then again, you're probably not getting the social connection when you're consuming foods like that. You're probably not getting the nutrients and and, and particularly the fiber or the variety of different Mm -hmm. plant foods that we started off by this episode with. So, yeah, it's a mostly no from me. And I'm super excited to say this. You have a couple of spots available, which is very rare because I asked him that at the beginning of the episode before we got on because I was expecting Holly to be like, no, Alz, whatever you do, don't tell anyone they can come and see me because I'm so full. But for the first time in a long time, there's a couple of spots. How do people find you? Yeah, so I guess the, the, the quickest and easiest way is to go to andrewhalldietitian.com and that's got links to a little bit about me, who I work with, how I generally operate, and then some links to an online booking system. So as things are when we talk in this moment, Monday nights from two to seven, my time, I've got open for for one-on-one sort of working with people to, to work on their health and performance in any aspect that that may be. And we'll also pop all of this in the show notes. Um, you have a fantastic Instagram page as well. So we'll pop it all in there so people can find you. Don't rush because <laughs> we'll fill it all up. So we'll spread that out over time. But my favorite question to finish with is who in your world or what in your world truly makes you belly laugh? Well, the last time we spoke, um, probably a different answer. So being a fairly new dad with a five-month-old, I've learned that this is a constant source of genuine laughter, just the observation <laughs> and, and what goes on. Yeah, it's it's just unlocking, I guess, new emotions I didn't know existed. So that's really cool. And I'm laughing frequently at some of the stuff he tries to do or just the randomness of, of young kids. So yeah, that six months ago, I probably would have said a podcast that I listened to with Carl Pilkington and Ricky Gervais. I've, I did a series. I've listened to each episode probably 20 times. I used to listen to it every night before I fell asleep. I still crack, you know, laugh a lot at that. So that's probably my answer. <laughs> Thank you so much. You are so busy. A lot of the seasons are kicking off, well underway. Really appreciate you finding the time today to come on here and talk to our audience and have a chat with me. I always love seeing your face and having a conversation. So thank you so much, Holly. Thanks for having me. The, the pleasure is all mine and I really hope some listeners can take at least one thing and, and turn that into an action and, and stick with it for a fortnight and see how they go. But um, yeah, pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me. How many juicy little tips were in that episode? I definitely would love to get Hawley back on if you're interested. It's funny, most of the feedback we receive is more to do with the personal stories that we have on the episodes, not so much the experts that we bring in. 
So we listen a lot and we respond a lot to the feedback that you give us, whether it's a DM or you send us a little message on Facebook or Instagram. And so our plans for this year are based on that feedback. If you do love the experts coming on like Hawley today, reach out and let us know so that we can continue to provide this platform and space for you guys. Also, that's how when I spoke last week about those workshops, that came from some feedback. I would love to come and meet you and your team. If you're in Australia, locally, we can come and do disc personality profiling. We can do strategy workshops, magnetic leadership, building your culture from the inside out. You know, so that's one of my favorite places to play in work is to run corporate workshops for teachers, for your employees, for your leadership team, for the exec team. So, you know, if that's something you're interested in for this year, for 2023, I would love to have a conversation. Otherwise, I will see you all next week, next Monday for our next episode. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.